the wrong side of the red line, Dallas Stars podcast. Here is your host, Sean Shapiro. Well, it's a, uh, I said this right before we came on, and I'm just going to open with this anyway. It's a good thing we didn't record the podcast on Sunday, because otherwise everything would have kind of been, uh, would have had to start over anyway. Yeah, no kidding. My, uh, I'm sitting here attempting, pretending to study last night, and one of my buddies from Vegas texts me, and he just says, you're welcome. And I'm sitting here thinking, like, I'm sitting here thinking for a second. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Because he's a Pens fan. Obviously, I mean, now everyone in Vegas, I feel like if you live there, you're going to be a Golden Knights fan. But I'm sitting there, and my first thought is, this doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And then I thought about it for a second. I'm like, oh, uh, so it happened. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I will get into it. But, yeah, that was, you're right, because... That was one of those things that it's been talked about all weekend, and I was a little surprised that it didn't happen actually on day one or two of the draft, but it got done, and here we are. Yeah, of course, we're talking about the Stars trading for Mark Mathot, and uh, he trade which the return back to Vegas was a second-round pick. And Dylan Ferguson, who's a goalie prospect um, that Dallas had actually drafted this weekend in the seventh round. Um, so essentially the return was a second round pick and a seventh round pick for a player that is going to be in your top four. And uh, a player that's going to be in your top four and adds stability to a team that we've talked about, the defensive issues with this team before, with in the past, obviously. Um it makes all the sense in the... The thing I'm still trying to wrap my head around on this trade, and I know there was the factor where Mathot had his... And we even spoke with Mathot on the conference call today. Mathot had his 10-team no-trade list, and there were teams on that no-trade list that wanted to trade for him, and he turned some of those down. I'm still baffled at how this was the best George McPhee could get for him. That's the one thing. Like, this is a great trade for Dallas. And, and, and the fact that my first thought is, how did Vegas... Um, get so little for him should tell you how good of a deal this was. I just don't understand how Vegas only ended up with a player. The only return Vegas is getting on this um, is potentially a guy, a player, and a goalie, and Dylan Ferguson, who when the Stars drafted draft him with a seventh-round pick, I said, mm, it could be someone to keep an eye on. But that's, that's it, and a second-round pick in 2020. I, I just don't understand how Vegas McPhee didn't come away with more or have a better offer out there from a te- from one of the other twenty from one of the twenty teams that weren't on his no trade list. Well, there's a couple ways to look at this, and the way I've kind of chosen to look at it is, is I don't really dislike this deal for either side. I think for Vegas, I mean, well, we'll start with the the first way to look at it, and I think it's like George McPhee kind of overplayed his hand and misjudged what the market for defensemen was because there were a lot of guys that he took where you're kind of sitting here scrat like Alexi Yemelin, Lucas Biza, where you're sitting here thinking like why that this is not the best person you could have taken from this particular team. What are you doing right here? And I think I mean I I think it's pretty clear that his plan was to take a bunch of defensemen and then flip them for assets. I think a lot of it became. I mean, obviously, Mathot was a different situation because he was the, he's the guy who has had the most value from that group, but it was a little bit diminished because of his no-trade list. So, I mean, there were a couple teams in Canada that I know inquired about him, 
or I saw that inquired about him that in he the only team in Canada that he had on his can be traded to list was back to Ottawa. Um, I think a little bit of it was I think GMs were got kind of pissed at McPhee with how he played out the whole expansion thing, how he kind of held everyone hostage, so to speak, leading into it. And they kind of knew after the fact that, well, this guy has 12 defensemen that he's got to have on his roster. So eventually something's going to give. So I think it's something that, you know, you teams could afford to be patient on it because they know that he had a glut of guys. Um, part of it too is honestly, I Mark Mathot is not as good as he's been hyped up the last three months. I just, I saw, I don't remember where I saw it and I don't have enough time to go searching through Twitter to find it, but it was basically comparing Eric Carlson's possession numbers to skating with Mathot and without Mathot. And Mathot was kind of an anchor around Carlson's neck last year. It's really easy to be a positive possession player when you're playing with one of the three greatest players alive. I could probably be a positive possession player with Eric Carlson, and I'm not a very good skater, if that tells you anything. So I think a lot of it was maybe there was a lot of hype going around on around Mark Mathot that wasn't really warranted, and maybe that kind of came back. At the same time, for Vegas, I don't it's, – it's, it's not the – I mean, based on everything that everyone was saying, you'd think that they would have gotten a first-round pick for him, which I don't think – obviously, with the benefit of hindsight, I don't think that was ever realistic – but I don't dislike this deal from a Vegas perspective either because as it was kind of talked about after the Stars took Dylan Ferguson, this was a guy who was kind of buried a little bit on his own depth chart and he looked good in the opportunities he had. And now he's seemingly going to get more of an opportunity to start this year. So he was a guy that could potentially, who was a guy, a low risk, potentially high upside pick. And then, I mean, obviously a second round pick is nice regardless of it coming in three years. So that's something that you're not going to get, God they were not going to get returns on that until George McPhee's probably not even the GM of that team anymore. So, I mean, obviously, if George, McPhee is, that. if George McPhee is still the GM of that team, when Vegas gets returns on these on, on Dylan Ferguson and a 2020 second round pick, George McPhee will have done done a fantastic job if he is still the GM of the, the team at the of this team at that of the Vegas at that time. Yeah, there's not. I mean, we're talking. I mean, what's the average return on an on a non top five? draft pick it's three to five years and this is a pick that's still three years down the line so we're talking almost a decade from now that that particular draft pick would potentially be an nhl factor so if that tells Mm -hmm. you anything yes i and to get back to dallas i think it's i agree with you and i agree with your point i think it's a fair point that mathot is not as good as he's been hyped up to be um however i think the way we need to look at this this is an upgrade for the Stars' defense. That's that's the most important part here. This is an upgrade for the Stars' defense, and for me, I think it played out. It plays out perfectly, where it works for the here and now, and it works for the three four year plan. Because Mathot was a guy. If Mathot was a free agent right now, if he was a free agent, and he even mentioned today that he had no plan of leaving Ottawa after the season. A guy in his in his spot, if he was a free agent right now, he would be demanding four or five years and probably close to five point five million at least. I'm just he didn't say those numbers exactly, but that that's the numbers that the value his mark would probably be, and that's what we're going to see. That's what Carl Alsner is probably going to get on the open market as a free agent by signing Mathot by trading for Mathot in this situation. The Stars got a med- got uh, better immediately. It's an upgrade on the left side. They also got a player in place where he's only on a two-year deal 
and it sets up well to create a two-year succession plan. Dan Hamhuis will be off the books after next season. That opens up a spot for one young player. Mathot will be off the books in two years. That opens a spot for another young player. So you're looking at a spot where the Stars now have the luxury and the time to wait with to get to the ultimate to get to the ultimate long term in my mind where you're looking at a Nicholas Hansen, a Gavin Bayreuther, and maybe even Miro Heishkin and giving him in three years is probably way too early to think that, but say he does just blow expectations out of the water. You've set yourself up well for for a great interim option that makes your team better for next year anyway. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and I don't I, I should throw this caveat in here that me saying Mark Mathot is not as good as he's been hyped up to be is not me saying that this was a bad deal for the Stars. I spe- this this was a guy that the Stars should have pursued if the price was right, and the price was more than right because obviously you're giving up assets, but they're not. I mean, with assuming no, I, let me not say assuming, but Ferguson was not the, is not the even the best goalie prospect the Stars drafted this weekend. So he was kind of redundant. And a second-round pick in three years is a second-round pick in three years. It's whatever. Oh, yeah, and Ferguson, them drafting Ferguson was, they got to the seventh round, and as uh, Stars director of amateur scouting Joe McDonnellis said, when you're at that point, when when you're that late in the draft, that's where you're going through and you're trusting your area scouts, and your area scouts are saying, you know what, there might be something with this guy. And so Dylan giving up Dylan Ferguson is throwing a dart at the board, was throwing a dart at the board and hoping something paid off when really, obviously, they're putting their eggs in the basket with the Jake Ottinger trade that happened earlier in that draft, obviously. Right, exactly. And so, obviously, the price was right for the Stars to make this trade. You gave up very little to get a guy who's going to make you better next year. I mean, there's obviously problems with defensemen and the glut about defensemen on this roster and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure we'll get to that in five minutes or so. But I think the most important aspect of this trade is that it keeps the stars out of free agency on defense because the free agency on defense this year is just it's going to be awful because you have 3 to 5 decent players available who are going to get paid way too much money and way too much term for what they bring to the table namely Carl Alsner and I know you've talked a lot about Brendan Smith who I felt like could have been a really good guy to be the Mark Mathot type guy on this team next year but the more I think about it the more he's going to get someone's going to give him a four-year contract, and that's not something I would do. And as you just mentioned, it, and we kind of talked about it before we kicked off today, and we talked about it a little bit the last time we were on too, the Stars have no money aside from no money, no contracts on the NHL roster committed past 2018-19 except to Jamie Benn, Ben Bishop, and John Klingberg. Everybody else who is on an NHL contract right now does not, it doesn't have a contract past two seasons from now. So there's going to... This keeps perfectly with that, and you touched on the transition plan, whether it's Beirut or Nick Hansen, Miro Heishkin, and the guys you touched on. It's The stars are kind of perfectly structured right now to transition to younger guys. Yeah, and they've got, it's, I mean, it's everything that Nil has talked about and his quote that he, the one quote that always sticks with me when he talks about how his job is to make his team better for today, tomorrow, and for the long term, and that's really this trade actually plays this trade plays into all of that um it's it's obviously well worth the price now the next step there's two next steps and the, we will get to the filling that that hole on the wing we'll get to that in a minute but let's stick with the defense first since the stars defense right now in my mind you're looking at um 
I'm not as down on the... Uh, I, I think ultimately we're going to see Mathot Klingberg, and I obviously trying to guess defense pairs on June 27th is, is, is a fool's game, but we're looking at something like Mathot Klingberg, Ham Husanka, maybe Lyndall Johns, or I, I think I know Lyndall took a beating, takes a beating from some people for what happened last season with and looked at his up and downs, and more people look at his downs when he played with Klingberg, but I still think there's something there with Lyndall and Klingberg that could be... Um, you could play with that, and Mathot could be with Honka. Or, or, or either way, I see the six defensemen in my mind that will be on the opening night roster, and I know who they are. And that's something that can you remember the last time we had a podcast where we could sit and say, you know what, these are the six defensemen that will be in the lineup. I don't think we've, we've had one. We've never, we've never in the, the in the era of this podcast, we've never recorded a podcast and be able to say these are the six defensemen that should be assuming healthy, will be in the lineup. It's always been, all right, well, we know it's these four, but is it this guy? Is it that guy? There's actually stability there on defense. Now you have six guys who, we, who, who we've just discussed. and We have the three lefties who, are, who looking at Hamhus, uh, Lindell, and uh, obviously Mathot, and now the right side you've got Johns, Honka, and Klingberg. Now you've got three other guys who are on NHL contracts, and none of them are waiver-exempt. So... What do you do with Greg Patterson? What do you do with Jamie Alexiak? What do you do with Patrick Nemeth? Do you make a trade? Um, is there a trade? Is there trade value for those guys? And if not, do you risk it to waivers? It, it, now you have to figure out how to handle those defense because you and I have talked before that carrying eight defensemen is just that would just carrying eight defensemen is just a mistake in the NHL. I almost think that we've gotten to the point that if you if there's no trade market for these guys, you're better off just waving them. Because clearly, I mean, it's almost they're, it's like sunk cost anyway at this point. So if someone claims them, it's just kind of like, okay, that's one less problem we have to deal with now. Because, it, you know, this last year when you had Nemeth and Alexiak and Johns and Lindell all on small monetary, not, I don't think quite, Johns wasn't on entry level. I don't remember if, if Alexiak was still in that. I think Lindo was on his and I don't remember if Alexiak was, but these are guys who are all, for all intents and purposes, on entry-level contracts or on one-year qualifying offer, blah, 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 whatever. I mean, if you're you're looking at the left side of this defense right now, monetarily that should be set because Lindo just got his two-year, 2.2 per year raise. And then with the money that Hamhuis and Mathot are both making, these aren't guys who are shuffling in and out of the lineup now just to get guys ice time. These are guys who are being paid like every night defensemen and should be every night defensemen as long as they're healthy and as long as they're not playing like total and complete garbage. The only guy really on this defense, I mean, I guess you can make the the argument that Honka could be a guy that you face in and out of the lineup, but he's so freaking talented that I don't. Even if he screws up, unless he's just like plays a game where he's just totally and completely lost, and he just needs a game to see the, just watch a game from the press box to kind of slow down and decompress. That's the only time I would ever scratch him, assuming he's healthy. I'm letting him out there and I'm riding and dying with him. So I mean, really, the only two guys that you have of those six now who are on low money contracts are him and Johns, and those are guys. I mean, those are both guys that I'm still keeping in the lineup either way. So it. At this point, I if you can't find a trade for Nemeth, Alexiak, or Pattern, I almost just kind of let them duke it out for the seventh spot in camp, and then whoever doesn't get it gets waived, and if they get claimed, then so be it. I look at it, 
I, I look at it slightly different. I, I agree with you, but the one thing I do is I think I think the one guy there that has trade value is Alexiak, just based on his size and his status as a first round pick. Um, so the one thing I do, just in looking at roster, and who knows who knows how they'll actually play it. I try and trade Alexiak now, um, and whether that means he's part of a deal to get a top six forward, or whether it's a separate deal to accumulate a pick or two or something like that, I create that situation now, and then I head into camp with the eight, with Nemeth and Patteron, and basically, there's no value for trade value for either of those guys. Basically, it, it turns into a two-way battle for who's going to get that seventh spot. Because I think I think Alexiak you can get value for, and you should take advantage of, of that. But um, I, just, I don't see any trade value for Patterson and Nemeth right now. Patterson was a guy who there was a basically Montreal had basically put out a, put it out there that anyone could trade for him. They needed to trade for him. They needed to trade him. It was there was off ice issues there with his wife, who Montreal wanted him out of Quebec. And the Stars were the only team to get him, the only team that, that even bid on him. And the Stars, if they could have traded Nemeth any time in the past 18 months, they would have gladly jumped at that opportunity, and they haven't had that. So Alexiak has value, though, just based on pure potential and size and everything like that. I'm not saying that potential will play out and he'll become a great player. I'm just saying potential that other general managers will trade for, if that makes sense. Right, and that's kind of the reason that I'd be I personally would not want to trade him because I feel like he can still be a good top four defenseman in the NHL and obviously you got a guy who's six seven that's with the first round pedigree and obviously he's shown flashes of talent both in the AHL and the NHL. But at this point, I mean unless he comes into camp and just completely outplays Steven Johns, he's your seventh defenseman. So it's you get into this cycle that we were just in for the last twelve months where you got a guy who's supremely talented or not supremely talented, but who should be playing every night is not playing every night is sitting in the press box and is just wasting away. So, I mean, I don't disagree with that, that they should trade him now and get whatever value they can for him because he's the only guy who can. And then that way, whoever between Nemeth and Patteron doesn't win the seventh job gets sent down. I very seriously doubt either of them gets claimed. So, and based on, and based on talent, based on talent and how they play, Pattern fits as the seventh guy. Nemeth does not. Uh, Nemeth has even admitted this in interviews before, where Nemeth is a player that needs to build on games. Nemeth is a guy who, one of the reasons this past season has went so poorly for him is he would have good moments in a game, and his his second game back and third game back after being out a couple games was always his best. He always he was a guy who always built on momentum. It's just he needed a couple games to get back into it. For whatever reason, he's a slow starter. Greg Patteron plays the same game today, whether he's played the last twelve or if he's or if he had if whether he's played the last twelve games or he's last sat the past twelve games, and just based on the dynamic of how they play the game and and how because when you look being a seventh defenseman is not easy being a seventh defenseman on a team where you know your seventh is not easy, so you have to be ready to come in and be able to perform at your best in what is. Your, your best possible play at each level. And I don't know if Nemeth can do that. I know Pattern can do that as a seventh. And on top of that, if we're talking about the one guy who might need to take a seat every once in a while, that's Julius Honka, and he's right-handed, and Greg Pattern happens to be right-handed. That's just just looking at situations where, obviously, if one outplays the other vastly in training camp, it's completely different. But if I'm, I'm looking at different factors here and caveats of 
where I'm making the decision from a roster management standpoint because I sure as hell, with all the young players I want, I want more competition in my forward group this year. I want to carry 14 forwards. I want there to be 14 forwards where I can have young guys battle for that on a weekly basis as opposed to being just one forward scratch a night. Right, and then you get in a situation where if you're carrying that extra forward and they're not having a good game, then you can a little. It's a lot easier to shorten your bench at forward than it is to play with five defensemen out there. It screws with your timing and line chemistry and whatnot less. And that's, I mean, obviously, I feel like that's kind of the accepted thing in the NHL is to go 14 forwards and seven defensemen. And obviously, we saw last year why that was because the eight defensemen thing wasn't really working out. So, I'm. I, I said it on Twitter last night, but I'm floored that one of those guys wasn't a part of that trade because I figured that would make too much sense. But I'm assuming Jim Nill has something up his sleeve. I mean, I'm assuming, but I mean, as smart as Jim Nill is at literally everything else, he's not. he was not very good at dealing with the eighth advancement thing last year. So I guess we'll find out. The, the last thing missing from Jim Nill's GM portfolio are those... Um, well, obviously, the last thing missing from any GM's portfolio is winning a Stanley Cup as a GM. But the last thing missing from his in, in roster construction and things like that is those. We've seen he can operate at the deadline as a seller. He can operate. He can he can make the big trade, but making those small little moves to create uh, to create balance and, and whatnot in your locker room, things like that. Those are the final pieces kind of missing from his portfolio as a GM. Right now, how many? What's this? His fourth off, fourth or fifth off season in Dallas, and how many of the previous ones did he make a a big move? Sagan, Spezza, Mathot. He's got he's got his he's got the big trade thing down. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and he always it's. I mean, the uh, Sagan trade was a July first. Was no, was that that was a July fourth trade? It was right? July fourth. I distinctly remember it, yeah. being July fourth because I was in a Bevmo in Fresno, California, about to get beer. And my, I looked on my phone and I saw that trade and I was, I almost dropped the beer that I was holding. So he's got, it's, this is where he's, this is where Jim Nill get tested now. Can, and this is where we need to start grading Jim Nill on because we have graded him on his big moves and they've turned out well. Now we need to see what he does for, what he does with these defensemen and how they figure it out. Other thing, obviously, that's now on the front of the uh, stars wish list in the top of the list now is you definitely need one, maybe two right wingers in the offseason. It depends on how you, you look at a couple of things. You definitely need a top six right winger. You could argue you're trying to find two in the offseason now um, because we're looking at there's a hole. There's a hole in this lineup on the top top line right wing. If if Tyler Sagan is going to be a center, as Ken Hitchcock has committed to turn him into a center, a true number one center. Jamie Benn's going to be your top line left wing. You don't know who's going to be that top line right wing. Um, you have, on the current roster right now, you don't have anyone who really fits that profile. Brett Ritchie has potential to be that player someday, but he's not right now. He's Brett Ritchie's the type of guy that's got the tools where you look at him, he's got the shot, he's got the physical tools where you're like, you know what, he could be a top 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 right winger in the top line right winger in the NHL, but you don't really have that player right now. And so the Stars can do something via trade. Obviously, they've worked they've worked that way before. Or you could see 
trying to go after some of the big name free agents and uh, that hit the market on July first. See, I'm, this is kind of where I get a little iffy, not iffy, wishy-washy in terms of what I actually would want to do here because it's pretty, I mean, we've talked about it a lot that the stars have a ton of money that are, that is uh, free right now. And if you don't spend it, you lose it, so to speak. Are you your dog treats? Yep. Nice. Both of them. Both <laughs> of them. There you go. And they're being they're being quiet right now, so it's bribery. Yeah, that's that's the way to go. But like, I know. I mean, now that Oshi's off, not that I would have wanted. God, that Oshi contract was a stoop. I don't know why Washington did that. That was a very very bad idea. But now that he's off the market, it's really Alex Radulov. And his ask is ridiculous. And we've kind of just, we just, we literally just touched on this at the stars. And not that giving him a six year, $42 million contract is really going to kind of hamstring them in the long term because they don't have long term commitments right now. But touching on this, how this roster is perfectly set up for the transition to the next wave of kids with. I mean, the, the young guys that they have who kind of got some ice time last year, who we expect to be more full-time guys this year, i.e. Jason Dickinson. I And then with Gurionov seemingly on the cusp, with Val Nechuskin seemingly going to be back within the next 12 to 18 months, and then with, I mean, Riley Tufty's a little further away. But with that next crop seemingly right on the cusp I don't know that I'd want to give out a seven year deal to a 30 year old winger I feel like I'd rather just go to say Justin Williams or Thomas Vanek and say hey here's a one year contract here's a two year contract come play for us for a little bit help us fill out our top six and then go away when we're ready to bring these young kids up so I, that's just, it's one of those things that I really, I don't know what Jim Nill's going to do. I don't know what I would want to do here. I'm like in between on this. I've, I've been in my mind, I, I've been pushing Radulov and I've, I've always liked Radulov and I, and I continue to push him in my mind and, and I still, I still like him and I still like the piece you bring is, but in my mind, I've been slowly being convinced about Williams and I, cause my hypothetical lineup right now, um, when I when I look at this team as a hypothetical lineup right now, and this is this is assuming you have fourteen, you're carrying fourteen forwards. You're looking at a top line of Ben Sagan, Ben Sagan, insert name here. Yet, and then if I'm building my lineup, and, and we're hoping Matthias Janmark's healthy in these situations, we don't know how he's going to turn out, but this is I'm being an optimistic that he's gonna that he's going to turn out well. A second line of Janmark, Spezza, and Shore, because I know Shore is a center. I mean, is a center naturally, but he can play the right side. He can, and I don't, and I don't like the idea of him being your fourth line center. I want him higher in my lineup. Fair. No, I would say I so. Look, then I look at a third line that is Roussel, Fox, and Richie, which would be a pest of a line to play against, and could put the puck in the net a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then my fourth line is Mackenzie, Dickinson, and Cracknell, which is a good fourth line in the NHL. And then my two extra bodies are just at this time being for this exercise are Remy Ellie and Jamel Smith, yeah. who can who can fight and push. One's a winger, one's a center. They can fight and push to get a spot in the lineup. 
And you're you're right on the thing on the Radulov on the long term contract. I I'm I still have to get over my head because I keep looking at him and I keep thinking the immediate return. I think I think he's a better player than Justin Williams is right now. But you're right if we're looking at building this roster for long term, having Justin Williams for a year or two. It's a good fit that opens up, especially if say Brett Ritchie can turn into that top top line winger. That's 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 another that's another big what if too that you're he that opportunity opens up for him in maybe a year or two if Williams if you just have Williams for that term. And a guy like Jason Williams just fuck I just I don't know why I just totally spaced on I I've been having a very bad brain week. What a guy like Justin Williams bring that a guy like Alex Radulov doesn't bring is flexibility to play throughout your lineup so as you just said if you know Brett Ritchie comes out and just on fire out of the gate and you want to put him on your top line fine Justin Williams can slot in as a third line winger and it's going to be fine Alex mm-hmm. Radulov's more of that pure top six score type guy who you don't have as much flexibility with and that's obviously enticing I mean and I get that Justin Williams is five years older and he had he didn't hit 50 points last year but you're not bringing him in to score a ton. You're com- bringing him in to contribute offense. You're bringing him in for his veteran presence and his ability. I mean, we there was a lot of talk when the Stars got Patrick Sharp about his prowess in the playoffs. That Justin Williams' his nickname is Mr. Game 7. So, I mean, you're getting a playoff pedigree with a guy like that. He's obviously going to be a great mentor towards, in your situation, what would be a very young bottom six, which I love. I, that fourth line is... That sounds like a lot of fun to watch because that's the exact type of fourth line that you want in today's NHL. Young, cheap, fast, who can hit, forecheck, and put the puck in the net if need be. So, I mean, I see, I keep going back and forth on it because I, then you talk about if you bring in Alex Radulov, then maybe that's something you toss over to Val Nachuskin and say, hey, we got a Russian for you to play with. Because that's, 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 that's an, yeah. That's, I mean, they obviously they signed, they brought in Sergei Gonchar literally for that exact reason, and that failed miserably because he was just the shell of his former self during his years with Dallas. But, I mean, that's a little carrot to say, hey, come on back over, we have a countryman. I mean, I, that's an oversimplification of it, but I feel like that's a big factor for Russian guys is having someone that they can kind of relate to on the team. Well, yeah, and it's the, uh, and Garyanov isn't ready. You're not ready to put Garyanov in the NHL just to make sure, right, hey, look, exactly. Val. <laughs> um, and, and, and also on Garyanov, if Garyanov is ready and wins a spot in training camp, more power to him. I don't think he's there yet. I think there's still more time to be done. But if he wins a spot in training camp, more power to, to Garyanov, and you're in an even better spot. But um, Justin Williams could be Justin Williams could be a good fit. The other option, too, you're looking at two of the stars is, and Nil has surprised us with trades before, someone we're not even thinking about is an option. That's a trade that we that no one sees coming. That's the other possibility that we have to keep in mind since Nil has not been afraid to pull the trigger on a move in the past and shake things up like that. Yeah, and boy, like you said at the top, this could all, if we recorded Sunday, this it would have been a moot point because it all would have changed. And I mean, once July 1st comes around, this could all change. So, I mean, I, we'll see uh, based on... And then the other thing with Radulov, too, is, I mean, he had a really good year this year, and it seems like he played a more complete game than he had when he was in Nashville. But he also did it on a one-year deal. So it was, I, I'm so wary of guys who have, for all intents and purposes, career years in a contract year, 
Because obviously there's a huge carrot that's right there. Play well and you're going to get a fat contract. And we kind of saw that. And I, I feel kind of bad that this is a Russian-to-Russian comparison. But we saw that with Alex Semin. He got a fat contract from Carolina and he could, immediately fell out of warranty and was just awful. And not that that would happen to Alex Radulov, but I mean, it's, you see that with guys, they get a fat contract and then they just kind of mail it in. So I don't know, man. I'm glad this is, a, this is one of those decisions that I'm glad I don't have to make. Yeah. One decision that was made today that we would have made that you would have made agreed that we definitely agreed with was the stars officially ended the Antoniemi era in Dallas officially today. It was his buyout officially went through today. They put him on waivers yesterday for intensive buyout and his fort this year would have been the final year of his contract. And so um, instead of the $4.5 million cap out this year, it will be $1.5 million over the next two years. And as we've said on this, on this podcast before, and as I've said on Twitter and whatever, where it's going to be a Ben Bishop, Kari Lettinen um, tandem, and now that's basically official now. I would, wouldn't even have waited until now to buy him out. I would have bought him out the second that bought out buyout windows could have opened because there is no way in hell that anyone was going to trade for Antini. I mean, unless you retained half that salary. And, and they, even they, then, I wouldn't have still traded for him. And they were just more, I mean, they were just holding on to him out of more, in a hypothetical world, say they got a trade for Letton and just... Yeah, it's true. Like, I mean, they basically were holding on to it until just to keep all options open as long as possible. But it was one of the worst kept secrets. It wasn't even... Right about the team um and obviously now you've got we go into this year with bishop and Lennon and uh ideally ideally if, if if things work out well and obviously the stars haven't had the best luck with first round pick goalies but if things work out well you have a great setup for a line of succession going forward and we talked about this before the draft and how if they could get ottinger he's 18 now by the time Bishop's contract is expiring, it'll be six years from now. Ottinger will be 24 around then. Theoretically, the Stars this weekend set up their perfect line of succession to have their number one franchise goalie for a long time that can learn for a couple years, can back up Bishop for a couple years before taking over the starter's role. Oh, yeah, it's set perfectly because, I mean, I'm assuming that they're going to let him play two more years at BU. You're not letting him get to his senior year because then you get that whole thing with wait I don't would it be different no. for him since he was drafted it after a first for he could play all four years and he still wouldn't be able to be a free agent would he correct he uh, the stars are lucky in that right where since he was drafted after his freshman year um they would have they have four years to sign him so he can play all three years right, that's he, he can, even better so he can finish out his career at BU and not worry about having a uh, Jake Ottinger sweepstakes and free agency after his. Uh, because basically, if he wanted to go sign with anyone else, he would have to take. He'd have to redshirt here or be hurt or something like that. Like or go play in Europe or something, right? Yeah. Yes. But and I yeah. don't know why he would do that. I mean, it's not like it's not like Dallas is brimming with goaltending prospects where he's going to have. He, he could. I mean, he's not going to. He could sign right now, and I feel like he would probably see 35 starts in the AHL next year but so I mean that does change a little bit not a little bit but it changes my timeline because I'm sitting here thinking you're signing him after 19 you're gonna let him play his finish out at BU unless he just completely rips next the next two years and is 
sub one seven goals against average, and he just him going back to BU would be completely useless. But then in this scenario, you have him in, at BU until nineteen twenty. So then Bishop still has three years left on his contract. Then you give him two full years in the AHL to kind of figure out the professional game. And then in Bishop's last year, you're bringing him up to back up for that year. And then you're handing him the starting reins next year. It's liter- It literally works out perfectly, assuming he develops assuming, into the goalie that everyone thinks he can develop into. Which is a way, huge question mark, obviously, with any goalie. But I, I, Either way, in the short term, I think World Junior is going to be fun to watch for us next year because Ottinger, by all accounts, should be the starting starter for... USA, um, and uh, Riley Tufty could be amongst that group, and uh, Heishkinen will play for Finland, and just basically World Junior is going to be fun to watch in the short term. That's something I think we can guarantee us from a star's perspective. Could I really don't know that the first three picks could have worked out any better for Dallas, especially with uh, especially with how the stars. They admitted that Heishkinen was the top player on their board. That, right. And Joe McDonnell said we probably would have taken him first had we had the first pick. Um, it's... All three players in the top three would have been good, would have helped any team. They would have helped any team's prospect pool. But by not having to make that decision between Heishkinen and a center... It's, I mean, it worked out. It, the Stars got their best player, and they didn't. There was no, there's no second guessing because he was. There wasn't the other two who someone else could have argued would be better. Right, exactly. If you're before talking about the, well, we talked about the hypothetical that Kale McCarr goes number one, and then you're stuck bet- picking between Heiskanen and Nolan Patrick, and then everyone's up in arms that oh, why didn't we take this, take the center, blah blah blah. So it it worked out perfect in that way, and I mean. He's the guy that we've both kind of been clamoring for since the uh, results of the lottery came out. And then Jake Ottinger's the guy who's been clamoring for it to take it 29, which ended up being 26. So, I mean, ingenious move to trade up to make. Because I remember you texting me a week and a half ago saying there's no way Ottinger falls to 29 with the teams picking, the three, three or four teams picking in front of Dallas. So ingenious move to trade up to make sure you get him. And then getting a pretty good forward at 39 as well. You kind of check all three boxes with your first three picks with three guys who could be very, very, very good NHL players. Yeah, we, have, we haven't even talked about Jason Robertson yet. That's a, that's a hell of a pick. And that's, that's an easy pick at 39 because he's by far the, was by far the best available player at 39. But that's a player that I never thought Dallas would get from the intense where from from the option from I looked at him as a early twenties guy in general. Just I, I I never thought he'd be available at that and I know it was early in the second round, but that late, but eight picks in the second round, I never thought Jason Robertson would be available like that. That's a hell of a pick. And he's a kid who Yes, there's a couple of things that need to be worked on in his skating, and you can take on, and that's something that can be worked on. But it's not that his speed is an issue; it's just his mechanics, and you can work with mechanics. And he put up, he scored more goals than Owen Tippett, and he played on a very bad team. As like, a 17 year old in the OHL, too, so mm-hmm. a guy who nearly tripled his point output from his rookie year to last year. I mean, granted, in 14 more games, but still a guy who, that's just, 
it's just it's just worked out. He's a big kid. He's gonna get bigger. He turns eighteen in a couple of weeks. So I mean, it's just another guy that you kind of just let take his time to develop, and it it just it worked out well. I was I was very pleased with that. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the draft, they already traded away one of the picks from the draft, but we'll just touch on the rest of the draft real quick. The rest of the draft is you're essentially throwing darts. I mean, because they didn't have a third round pick because they used it to because uh, they used it to make the trade up for Andrew and the. But they basically took three centers in the fourth, fifth, and sixth rounds, and basically it's one of those where you're buying lottery tickets and you're hoping one guy, one guy pans out. Yeah, of exactly. That, of that group, of that group. There's um, no science to it. It's just kind of trusting gut and what your intuition tells you, and sometimes it pays off, and most of the time it doesn't. Well, it's just like I laughed when people saw the Stars' fifth round pick, and people were like, "Oh, this is this is where they make their big pick. It's the fifth round." No, the Stars don't make their big pick in the fifth round. They just got lucky that John Klingberg and Jamie and uh, Jamie Ben turned into the players they were. <laughs> right, exactly. There's no but, <laughs> no witchcraft or magic that goes to it. You got it, it was just a coincidence that it kind of happened that way. Mm-hmm. Anything else uh, when you, when you look at this weekend in general, whether it's the draft or trades or free agency or anything over the past three days to you that stood out from other teams that could be good, could be bad, that that stood out to you, Ryan? Off the top of my head, I mean, I like the the draft that Vegas had was was very good. They got, within the first 34 picks, they got four legitimate NHL prospects. So those, despite the fact that I think George McPhee kind of played himself with uh, how he kind of started orchestrating his roster through the expansion draft. I think it was a very good draft for them. Uh, I mean, off the top of my head, I know because I literally, the only thing that I'm trying to retain in my memory banks right now is lower extremity muscle attachments. (laughs) So I can't really think too much about that or I haven't been able to retain too much about that, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens this weekend. It's nice that, uh, the July ones on a weekend as opposed to a weekday. So I'll kind of get to pay a little bit more attention to it. I'm just, I, I, it's not as not a great free agent class, but I'm obviously, I feel like the stars will be players as they try to solidify their roster for next year. So, um, there's some good players that I think could be moved via trade as well. Um, so we'll see. I'm mostly excited that the Stars will not be players on the defensive market. There were a couple guys that I was kind of looking at as lower-risk guys to fill out the bottom pair, but they were mostly guys who aren't that great anyway or who've had really tough years. Like I felt like Dmitry Kulikov could have been a guy to take a flyer on, but um, now we don't have to worry about that. So, that, so that's good that that's that's off uh off the check that was that was one that was checked off the checklist so um we'll see what happens with uh forwards we have to talk about and this is just the i thought st louis had a very good draft actually and somehow st louis turned ryan reeves into the top ranked european skater by nhl central scouting yeah that was a bit of a head scratcher like the to clem costin his clem costin's a russian who because he's Russian, he dropped in the draft because of the Russian factor. He also dealt with injury, so that's yeah, he there just was that. Had, did he, just, he had just had shoulder surgery too, I think. Uh, it was shoulder or hip or something, something like that. But it was it was something where he had injury and his nationality both caused concerns, and so he dropped it. He was the uh, 
He was the last guy in the green room because the NHL went with a green room setup this year. Did you see that? I did, and that was it's, a little awkward. And they went with a green room setup. Typically, um, the NHL has just gone with all of the prospects are out sitting in the stands somewhere. So if you're not picked, it's not like there's a camera on you all the time. However, going with the green room setup, the Blues get to the first to the final pick of the first round, which they traded from Pittsburgh for Ryan Reeves. And then they take Costin, who's been sitting there, and as they're before he's even getting picked up, you can see the video in the green room, and like janitors are already cleaning up behind him, and <laughs> like it was uh, the green room setup doesn't work, didn't work very well, especially with the amount of you could have just had him sit out in the stands with all the other prospects. Right, exactly. Um, I yeah, Nashville, not Nashville, St. Louis had, I mean, I think it's two first round picks, so they did well. Like, think trading two first round picks to I mean two first round picks to dump Yori Laterra's salary plus get Braden Shen I suppose isn't a bad deal so um that was a good draft by St. Louis Nashville getting having Ellie Tolvin and fall into their lap at 30 when he was a guy who at one point was talked about a top 10 pick and I think teams kind of got scared away from him like I, I don't remember if it was Thursday or Friday it came out that the BC admissions committee turned him down so he's there's 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 it yeah that came that became public on thursday night so that was david poyle gets another uh pretty good prospect that kind of just sort of falls into his lap i was surprised that michael d pietro fell as far as he did and i'm surprised that vancouver took him because i think i feel like thatcher demko is probably the best goaltending prospect in the NHL right now. If there's a better one, I couldn't name him off the top of my head. So Vancouver has a pretty nice goaltending pipeline set up now. Mm-hmm. Well, and Michael DiPietro is a guy too, where we we saw what he did in the Memorial Cup, and he's and he has certainly potential. But there is the he does have to prove that he can make up for his size at the next level. So he is a bit of a. If you've got Thatcher Demp, you already have your top goalie prospect there. He's not a bad guy to have a project on. For, yeah, especially for, for a third round pick, it's not like you had to take him with your take him at thirty three or anything like that either. So it's worth a flyer. Mm-hmm. The um, I wanted to go over a couple quick things because this was the first draft I'd watched in person, um, and there's a couple things that I just I wrote some notes here that I just want to talk about on the podcast with it. First of all, I want to give. A, you gotta get, I gotta give a lot of credit to the uh, players who brought their families and everything to the draft that were like seventh round picks, because those were the. Uh, I can only imagine how nerve wracking that is because there was there all the way up until and I don't even remember their name because the last round of the draft moved so quick teams have like forty seconds between picks, um, but in the seventh round of the draft. Five or six players' names were announced, and families were, like, hugging and embracing and everything like that. Can you imagine how nerve-wracking it would be to actually go to the draft, get a nice suit, probably the nicest suit you've ever had, and be getting into there's only 20 picks left, and you're still sitting there waiting, and you've watched everything for two days. i got to give credit to those kids who, uh, I don't even know if credit's the right word, but I give them some sort of recognition for sitting through that. I wouldn't want to sit through that for any reason whatsoever, unless I knew that I was going to be picked in the first three rounds. I mean, granted, the second day, I feel like... Uh, how long was the second day? I feel probably wasn't much longer than the first round itself was. The first round was close to four hours, right? 
Uh, we were out of, I mean, second day, got every, you got about five, six rounds done in about the time it took to get the first round done. Maybe a little longer, but that's about it. Yeah, so I, that would be a, uh, that's like those, uh, the kids in the NBA or NFL who leave school early and then don't get drafted. It's just kind of, I mean, granted, at least in the NBA, you can make a pretty good living as a practice squad player, but that's always kind of awkward where it's like, uh, yeah, you left school and now... At least in the NHL, for some of those guys in the NHL draft, at least they have the chance to re-enter the draft next year and maybe get picked. So mm-hmm. it's not as awkward, but I couldn't imagine sitting there for two straight days to go home disappointed. Yeah, it was uh, It was also interesting to see a um, couple other things of note just from... Uh, um, the GMs had their meetings this weekend as well, the draft, and... Uh, Amongst the things discussed were the, uh, they talked about offsides and how it's, well, that's probably going to stay the same, but the, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank, I'm literally the thought that was coming into my head. Oh, um, where a team, was it they could, oh, where there'll now be a penalty, where they discussed having penalties if you lose a challenge. Yes, I do remember seeing that, and I am fully in support of that rule. I, I think that's a really good rule, and that would also eliminate the amount of coaches using the challenge just for a fake timeout. Right, exactly. And I just I I I like the the intent of the coaches' challenge because obviously the call that kind of made this become necessary was just an egregious and horrible missed call. But I don't like the fact that it gets used for plays that you need super slow motion to decide if it's that close, then who really cares? That's my mm-hmm. view on it. But that's a good, that's a good rule change. So then that way it's, if you're just kind of taking a shot in the dark, then you lose a little bit more than a timeout. So you should be a little bit more sure about it. Help mm-hmm. cut down on the number of challenges overall. So that's, that's good. That's a good rule. I hope that one gets ratified. Yeah. Um, Couple other just observations from the draft. It's uh, and this is the big one. Just not even observation, just a report. And I can confirm that it has been talked about. Is the draft might be in Dallas next year? Um, there, it's been uh, it's been talked about. Um, from what I understand and reading other reports, basically, the draft coming to Dallas just has to make quote unquote as I think John Shannon from Sportsnet reported has to make quote unquote financial sense for the NHL to come to Dallas. And I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that's the price of renting American Airlines Center or if that's what they think ticket sales will be. Or I don't know exactly what financial sense means. He didn't expand on it. But Dallas is in discussion to host the draft next year. That'd be cool. I'd have to I'd have to come down and visit for that then. I don't know if I'd be able to come down and visit for that because my wife is kind of non-existent for the next three years. But that would still be that would still be pretty cool. Yeah, it would be a. Uh, it's definitely something that for just all the fanfare, the draft itself is cool. But the best part about it is the stuff all around it, like just the the amount of. Like I remember, I was walking walking around Chicago, and you turn one street corner and there's Steve Eiserman like running, like you turn a st- street corner and there's Steve Eiserman running with headphones and running down the street. 
And then the next street corner, you go around, and Lou Lam- and Lou Lamorello is wa- is like talking to somebody at the street corner. Like that's one of the cooler things about it, where you see all these hockey people just out in everyday life, and a lot of people have no idea who they are, which would probably be even more of the case in Texas. But it's that's uh, that's one of my favorite parts of the draft. Uh, and like there was one point where I saw the entire Predators contingent walk down the street, and. Um, was uh, you know, Peter Laviolette and Tortorella ended up running into each other in the street and having a con- like just right outside the hotel. So that's one of the most interesting things about the draft for me is just seeing all of these people, just the entire hockey world, just put into one city and all interacting there without uh, under and kind of doing it under the guise of not everyone knowing they're there because obviously the general population has no idea what a lot of these GMs actually look like. Yeah, that is, uh, that'd be cool to have it in Dallas too, just to, cause I feel like it's one of those things that it kind of stays north, like, uh, not like World Juniors, but how World Juniors is either in Canada or Buffalo, basically, or obviously Finland, Sweden, but that'd be cool to have it down south too, just for a, a different experience, especially for Stars fans down in Texas. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be a cool thing to do. Um... I think, I think that's all I've got today. You got anything else? No, not really. I didn't... I, I felt like I had more to talk about, and my mind has just not been retaining information the last week, and I'm just tired and in a state of permanent exhaustion, so I don't really remember anything that I wanted to talk about <laughs> other than the draft and Mark Mathot, really. So, I guess we... Yeah. I guess... Well, I guess we should note real quick, obviously... Um, they were hired. We haven't talked, so we haven't really talked in depth about it since. Um, maybe we did. I don't know. It's been a crazy long week. The assistants. So, yeah. Did we talk yeah, about we that? Kinda, we kind of touched on it. We didn't. I mean, I think you mentioned what each was. Yeah, you definitely mentioned what each was doing. So we okay. we didn't like in depth talk about it, but I don't really know how in depth you can go about. Oh, more of the assistant coaches. More of the story. Assistant coaches, and I pro- as I said, we were, as Ryan said, I probably touched on it last week already. Uh, Kurt Frazier is going to be the big picture eye in the sky guy, probably going to watch the game from the press box, be on the headpiece with pitch. Um, and then Stu Barnes will be the power play guy and Rick Wilson will run the penalty kill. So now I've said it on this one, just in case I didn't say it last week and Ryan and I are both just sleep deprived. Uh, <laughs> with that, um, we may do something, uh, after July 1st. Fair. Yeah, we'll see what happens, what Jim Nils got up his sleeve. Hopefully uh, something exciting because I am not ready for hockey news to stop yet.